This is WMUA Amherst, and you are listening to... barbarian in the valley now you know and i know if you've been a listener to this show that this music in the background this smooth gospel music means one thing that we are not descending down in the valley this week but instead this is a work shift special and we'll be diving into a profession and that this week that person is sally madsen november of 1984 through july of 1989 With two maternity leaves in there, Sally Mattson worked as a flight attendant for Delta Airlines. Sally's going to show us the highs and lows of that job, from deregulation of the airlines, to the good cities, to the tough cities, to the tough flights, to those hard-to-handle moments, and all the lessons in between. do exciting fun things and I didn't want to do the same thing every day I wanted every day to be something different and sitting in an office just sounded like the worst idea and when I told my father that he said well from what I understand they are not hiring princesses (laughs) what time period were you uh, a stewardess flight attendant and by the way is it stewardess or flight attendant flight attendant they had just changed from stewardess to flight attendant because of the, they had started hiring males. Um, that was still kind of a new thing. Some people called them stewards, um, but flight attendant was the gender neutral. Um, it, it, previously, it had always been stewardess. So, why were males starting to do it, or why hadn't they done it before that? Do you know? I think it was one of those jobs that was considered women's work serving people, taking yeah. care of people. Um, it, you know, it was there with nurses and teachers Waitress. and started out as a crop dusting airline and they realized that there were some people that needed to get from point to point on the Delta. They were from Monroe, Louisiana huh. and I think they started going to Jackson, Mississippi and the founder's wife felt sorry for these businessmen having to take a three hour um, plane ride and so she would fry chicken and put it in a, in a bag, a brown bag for them and as it grew into the passenger thing they just kept up that idea of serving food and then later the job um, developed more into a safety it, it was it was always both. In the 80s when I worked for Delta um, customer service was very important making people feel like they had a pleasant experience on the airplane was very important and I think that went back to the southern hospitality and the days of the little brown paper um, fried that's chicken. really interesting. I had never associated the word Delta with the Mississippi Delta. That's where I, it came from. What years were you a flight attendant? I started in 83 and then I uh, quit in 89 so I only did it for six, like years, six and a half years. In the 80s. What got you interested in the job? Well, I had just graduated from college. Um, I had an English degree, not even an education degree, and um, I wanted to 
travel and meet people and the airlines had just gone through deregulation. That happened, I want to say maybe in about 1981, and all of the airlines were in turmoil trying to figure out how to make money under these new, in this new world. It used to be that uh, the fares and I guess livery in general was all regulated by the government and they said, no, that's not right, the market needs to sort it out. It was interesting because Besides the fact that everyone was trying to figure out how do we compete because it had not been competitive before, a lot of businessmen were like, this is our chance. And there were all these brand new air airlines springing up. I don't know if you remember People's Express, Air Florida. Th those were two that, that actually did quite well for a short amount of time. And I remember feeling like, oh, People's Express is just going to take over because you could fly so cheaply. And I remember that two pilots who were former military said to me, oh, don't worry about them. They'll last about five more years. And then their maintenance costs will catch up with them because that was part of their business model was outside maintenance companies, which apparently were not as good as having your own and having a schedule and and it made it cheaper to operate, but they were exactly right. It was a, just about that time that all these airlines that had sprung up ended up filing Chapter 11. Prior to that, the government would say, okay, if you're flying from Boston to Los Angeles, it's Here's at 484. Many ways, it became a great break for the consumer. Mm -hmm. it, that was another thing that changed significantly was, I, I don't like to sound elitist or whatever, but the quality of the passenger. Flying used to be an elite thing and suddenly I remember a lot of the pilots saying now we're like a Greyhound bus driver. It opened flying to a segment of the population that had never been able to afford it. The world has become a much smaller place because of it. Huh. It's a, another reason that I think that globalization, like just this understanding of different parts of the country and even different parts of the world. The reaction of management at Delta was you have to make them love you. You have to make them only want to fly Delta. You have to make them say, wow, if Delta's um, ticket is $20 more, I'm going to pay that $20 because they have such great service. And um, Delta did a very good job, we talked about it frequently, of making you feel like you were part of the family. It was this sort of benevolent, you know, power. We would like kill ourselves and make sure we did it exactly the way they told us to. And nobody would have known if we had done it differently. <laughs> but we all felt very like we wanted to please uh, why, why, what was Delta? Why was Delta so successful at that? I, I still think it was a Southern thing, Southern culture. I think when I had started with Delta, they had had a small merger with Northeastern Airlines. Um, and I did fly with Northeastern crews every now and then when I, and they were very different. I mean, just culturally. A lot of them were just a little more abrupt or not quite as warm as like the Southern culture. All that felt much more distinct back in those days. Um, I felt a very different flavor when I flew into the Midwest than I did from the Northeast. California was its own, you know, separate melting pot. You know, Texas, I could, I, I remember that I could walk down the um, concourse in Atlanta 
and I used to be, try to guess where the plane was going looking at the people and I got pretty good at it that I could at least get the right part of the country if not the right city. Now you mentioned to me before when we spoke that mm -hmm. the New York to Florida flight was actually really difficult in terms of It was people. difficult as far as the people went. Very demanding. Though that was the most competitive market. It was $99 fares. Sometimes they would go down as low as $79 fares. Mm -hmm. And it drove everybody crazy that the people who had paid the least for their ticket were your most demanding market. Everybody wanted something for free. But they would actually steal things. They felt like they needed to get the full value of their ticket. They would steal soap bars, the dishes off the, um, the trays. Uh, they would, some people would take the life vest from underneath, which was very problematic because it's a no-go item if you don't have a yeah, life vest. Right. And, and I don't know what they were going to ever use it for. Right. <laughs> they would uh, take toilet paper out of the bathrooms. I mean, just, it was basically anything that wasn't nailed down. Wow. And I, it, at the beginning I thought, oh, maybe they wanted a souvenir. Like they wanted something that said Delta Airlines because the dishes and right. the silverware yeah. said Delta, but the toilet paper didn't. <laughs> right. Were they aggressive? Yes. Uh, very opinionated, very quick to tell you what you were doing wrong, whether they valued or undervalued your appearance. And I remember that people that I knew that were from New York or who had lived in New York would say, it's not like this when you live there. Yeah. It's only on the airplane. Right. And um, so... Well, the New York, Florida thing, yeah. it's like people going on a vacation. Right, They're already right, like right. out of and, their and, mind. And I think that there, that was true a lot of places that people felt like, I can be whoever I want to, I can behave however I want to, I'm never going to see these people again. Right. But, um, but the New York, Florida was... Who are your favorite people? Like just speaking of like, I love um, them in Nebraska or? Well, like the quietest, least demanding, I mean, almost to the point of boring were the, the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> Flying into like small stations in Ohio. And, but when you flew into um, small stations in the South, you really wondered if they were gonna get up and help you. <laughs> so nice. Very friendly, very, you know, well-mannered. Uh, California was always incredibly interesting. Anything crazy that ever happened, sex on the airplane, anything like that was either coming to or going from California. Always, always, huh. always. I mean, it was, you know, the whole stereotype of, you know, fruits and nuts or whatever. Right. That was, it was out there. It was just much more pronounced a hippie generation. Yep. And, um, it, you know, Silicon Valley was not a thing yet. It was, yeah, the world is really it changed. has really changed. It's really changed a lot. Because now California is so alpha and kind of on focus and on point. That's the way I think of California yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I don't I do think too. of it as that kind of freewheeling free community at all. Right, right. Quite the um, opposite. Seems yeah, quite I, tightly wound. When I used to fly to San Francisco, I loved to fly to San Francisco. It was all these like cool little cafes and, and it was the first time I ever went into a bookstore that had a cafe in it. And, you know, it was just so charming and so and so gay and and then the AIDS epidemic came through and it you know you saw a lot of changes because people were just dying or were too sick to work anymore and I think a lot of that has been replaced with Silicon Valley um, I'm not sure I haven't spent any time in San Francisco actually but uh, my daughter did and when I was describing to her how it was she had a completely different vibe uh, I mean, I think different. that's an interesting observation mm -hmm. that the AIDS 
really did wipe out, probably really oh, did a knockout punch to the huge, community. Huge, to the creative yep. service industry, the kind of thing I cared about when I was there yeah. for my layover. Oh, now so. it's techie stuff, yeah. and you can't yeah. touch it, it's too expensive. It's, everything's so expensive, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was much more edgy. What had the beatnik thing in the, the 50s? It had the beatnik thing, it had, yeah, right. And the gay community. Yeah, and you knew who the older hippies were, and you knew who the elderly beatniks were, yeah. and they were cool, and they gave it so much um, huh. like flavor. Now, at the top of the interview, Sally mentioned her father, Riley, Riley Short. And if you know this show, we've already spoken to Riley, the Reverend Riley Short, about moves that he would have to make as a Methodist minister. We thought it'd be good to reach out to Riley and get his perspective on what that time was like being the father of Sally as she embarked on this career 35,000 feet up in the air. She tells a funny story where she says that she came to you and she told you that she wanted to travel and see the world and you told her, well, I don't think there's any job openings for princesses. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Which sound, I said, that sounds like your dad. That sounds like Riley. Yeah, yeah. Did you kind of steer her towards that, or did she come to you and say, I want to be a flight attendant? Uh, she didn't come and ask me. She told me. Okay. okay. As a matter of fact, I had encouraged her to be a flight attendant. I said that that's a a good job when you're not married. She didn't have a job. She had just finished school, and it, she was going to have the opportunity to do a lot of traveling. Yeah. Right. Now, did you have any concerns for her entering that job? I had some concerns about, there was a book called Coffee, Tea, or Me, Airline Stewardesses, mm-hmm. or what they call flight attendants. I had a concern about that, pretty heavy, loose living life and all that, but uh, I knew my daughter knew that she had her own set of morals and ethics that I couldn't control anyway, but uh, I already knew what kind of person she was. So airplanes crash, everybody's usually killed, so <laughs> you have that concern, but uh, there again, I you know, it, it can happen any time, so I, right. I didn't worry about that. I, I will tell you one thing that made me very, very proud. I don't know if she told you this or not, but when she was being interviewed, they asked her why she wanted the job and what she thought she could add, bring to Delta Airlines. And she said, you know, I think I'll be a flight attendant and because I'd be new, I'll be flying on holidays, and there will be people that will be very lonely, and there will be people who are very sad because they're having to go somewhere because of the death or something. And she said, I think of that as a ministry and an opportunity to help people. Hmm. And and that was, that was so important to me personally. Another thing I liked about her having the job is that I got to fly free. Yeah. Yeah, she mentioned that. Would you, were you ever on a plane where she was a flight attendant? No, I never was. I would have loved that, but I never was on a plane when she was a flight attendant. You probably would have given her a hard time like you gave me a hard time when you're on my bus. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you notice um, 
Did the job change her at all? I think it gave her a lot of confidence. Um, when you have a responsibility, the flight attendant doesn't just serve food or reach out in kindness. They're responsible for getting you off that plane when it goes down. Mm-hmm. And they are well taught to handle that situation. And they're also taught to handle the people that are that are disruptive. Now they better be ready for terrorists too, you know. Yeah. And they were taught how to handle that situation too. Well, when you do that, when you assume that responsibility, yeah, for that many people, it's you you're gonna grow. You're gonna mature. You grow through your responsibilities. And I saw that happen to her. But you can and, still you see know, it. You really see it in her. She's so articulate and poised, which I know comes a lot from you bringing her up, you know, and her childhood. But yeah, but you, I think you can almost see it. You know, there is a level of equanimity there that I think probably that job contributed to. You, it either knocks you out that you won't be able to stand before a crowd or, or it helps you to be in where you can't with her and, and it's another one of those things that gave her some confidence in being before people. I remember when I took my psychological that the doctor, the, the psychiatrist that interviewed me said, I think you are going to make a very good flight attendant. He said, I think you're going to make a very good flight attendant and I am going to tell you, I'm not going to tell Delta Airlines, that I think um, you will be great at it, but I think that you... Um, are going to have some rude awakenings. And I just thought that was strange. And he said something about, I want you to tell the very right Reverend Riley P. Short, my dad, um, that he did a great job raising a nice young lady. And then I assumed that he thought, oh, I'm so naive because I'm a minister's daughter, because I grew up in a small town. But I thought that I knew everything. Right. <laughs> and I went back to that conversation several times and thought, I think this is what he meant, Mm -hmm. that I would be disappointed, um, that I had been somewhat sheltered from just mean, rude people. I mean, I do find my, even myself, my worst self comes out traveling. Well, yeah. Because I'm anxious. It's anxious and tired and and you're worried about how your kids are behaving. And and it's hard to be around that. Yeah, it is. It's hard to be around that. It is. I get it. As you get older, you get it. It's just when you're young, you let people growling at you have way more effect than it should. So you dealt with with the cabin service and with the pilots, obviously. Mostly with the pilots and, of course, other flight attendants. So just talk about the pilots. What was it like dealing with the pilots? There was definitely never once flew with a female pilot. I think there was maybe one by the time I quit, retired, whatever you want to call it. Maybe there was one in the system. It was There were flight attendants that dated pilots or were married to pilots. For the most part, not interested. Not at all interested. I uh, told you before that um, they tended to be very cheap. And we would often, flight attendants would, when we went out to dinner together on a layover, and there were no pilots there, 
we would analyze the pilots and say, why are they all the same? <laughs> why are they all so cheap? Why are they all, so, they all wear white socks. They dress terribly. Right. And usually our conclusion was it was because they had been in the military. And in those days, a lot of the people that were flying the larger equipment were Vietnam. Um, so they were, yes, a different generation. Um, they had been raised by parents, Depression era parents. They had been in the military where they didn't have to think about clothing, like you have to think about if you work in an office or something like that. A lot of them had come from very humble backgrounds, that, or maybe I should say unsophisticated backgrounds, and suddenly uh, because of their being drafted and, and chosen to be trained to be a pilot, they had landed in this lucrative um, career. And I think that they weren't very good at sharing. But I remember that when I was working for Delta, the, um, an officer and a gentleman, the movie, came out. And everyone would be like, oh, the pilots, oh, you know. But people would be like, oh, you know, those pilots. And there, there was this, Hollywood has always made them seem to be such a dashing breed. Mm -hmm. But that was not my experience. I mean, there were nice ones. There were yeah. great ones. But just in general, they were not no, romantically no, into their... No, and I was young and they were older and yeah. um, I wasn't interested in old men, right. whether they were wealthy or not. Right, right. <laughs> and were there two pilots? Uh, three. And the That's larger, right. yeah, three. three. The larger They're, ones. Back in those days, they still had a navigator. A navigator. Right, exactly. They, they called them a flight engineer. You also mentioned, you know, we, there's the Me Too movement now. Yes. So just talk a little bit about, of course, flight attendants at that time were seen as sexualized, sexualized right. objects, really. Yes, yes um, uh, the Me Too movement has made me think a lot about my years as a flight attendant. And um, one of the things that I kind of struggled with when I saw the Me Too movement go crazy over social media was that I felt like people who may have been harassed and felt gross were putting themselves on the same level as someone who had been raped or someone who had really, you know, had severe psychological torture. It was, it was bad. That he, yes, there was this stereotype of flight attendants are wild, flight attendants do this job just so that they can, you know, go crazy. And I was also young and, um, I don't know, Attractive. Yeah, yeah. I think that standing up there in that uniform and and then being expected to smile and, and be friendly and be gracious and make the people want to come back again, that sometimes maybe it was sending a signal that I wanted attention that I didn't. What would that look like? Uh, it was a lot of, you know, sometimes it was just compliments, which was fine. Everybody loves that. Everybody likes to hear, oh, you look nice. But, uh, there were times when it, it felt gross. There were times when there were suggestions of getting together and you know having fun, or um, and especially after people had, had a few drinks, just pretty nasty, crude things that were said to me that just made you want to just feel sick. It just yeah. made you feel sick. And I remember asking management, "What do you do when you're?" uncomfortable with somebody coming on to you and paying that much attention to you because you certainly didn't want to turn them away from ever flying Delta again. What do you do? And they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, why are you complaining about that? Like, imagine if 
no one you know you're you're pretty like that's just what comes with it you just you know you should enjoy that was kind of the the attitude right. I was never really given any tools about how to stop it so it how, what would you do um, sometimes I pretended like I didn't hear them <laughs> kept going or well that was one of the jokes about being a flight attendant was they said the first thing that you lose is your hearing that someone huh. miss excuse me oh, miss hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and you pretended like you didn't hear and kept going and then the second thing that you lost was your peripheral vision when someone was waving you down so sometimes I would just pretend like oh I excuse me I must have misunderstood you and right. walk away I, you know, I, I remember a lot of times asking the pilots to walk with me off the airplane. There was this one man that had just come from Vegas, and he was trashed. And I was, I didn't think he, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that he would rape me or anything. I just wanted him to leave me alone. Leave me alone. That was not the only time. There were several times when I would ask a pilot to walk me out of the airport onto the lane. Like that. No, that's very real. Yeah. yeah, I know it is. Yeah. I know it is. What would you tell yourself? What piece of advice would you give yourself? Knowing now what you know about the job. I guess just my younger self in general. I would say be more present, enjoy. Um, you know, it was the kind of job where there were days that I thought, I can't believe they're paying me to do this because it was fun. You had the right crew, you had nice passengers, maybe a light load, and you were on your way to this awesome layover in California or somewhere fun. But, and there were times when I thought, they can't pay me enough to do this. And I wish that I had stepped back and said, wait a minute. This is a great job. This is what you wanted to do. You're not at a desk. You're making really decent money and you have amazing benefits. Be grateful. Step back and let that roll off your back and think about the positive. There's no such thing, like my dad said, there's very few jobs, job openings for princesses. And that, my friends, is Sally Madsen. All her wisdom and glory. It was such a pleasure to spend the summer afternoon with her, talking about part of my childhood too, what it was like to fly back in the 80s. We're so grateful to her, and we're grateful for this, our platform, to share out that powerful belief system that we all as Americans believe in, which is work, the value of work. Stay tuned, we have some more stuff coming up, and don't forget, on the second part, in the second hour, the Free Associates is on its way.